Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In 2022, a pair of former ball players and a talented young broadcaster were tasked with creating a college football podcast. These men promptly escaped into the mountains of West Virginia and got to work. If you want top-level football analysis, off-topic stories, and locker room humor, you're in the right place. You are in the gun. In the Gun, episode number 93, it's time for a TCU preview as the Mountaineers get ready to head deep in the heart of Texas. This is ITG, In the Gun, your new favorite WV football podcast. I'm Wesley Euler with the best teammates in the business. Got the signal caller, Jed Drenning. Our dearly, uh, our dear partner, I should say, Owen Schmidt, is uh, he's tied up with some homecoming duties tonight. So he might be popping in here if he can step aside for a few minutes, but they got their homecoming game this week. He's, you know, they got par- parade and football stuff going on tonight. So he's doing his his uh, his dil- due diligence, his duties as a, uh, as a coach there. Um, so we'll see if he pops in, but you just got Jed and I for now. And as always, this episode of ITG brought to you in part by our friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. Jed, what's going on, partner? How we doing? It's, I feel like I've had a tumultuous last couple weeks. I had to miss a couple episodes last week because I couldn't talk after the pit game. Then I had to miss a few this week because I got stuck on a runway in Kansas City for, for half a Monday. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking over my shoulder for the boogeyman at this point. Well, the fact that you didn't miss the episode immediately after the pit game, or most immediately after the pit game, is already legendary. I mean, you've entered iconic status just based on the responses we've had from people uh, talking about that. But uh, you got to walk us through your, your John Candy planes, trains, and automobiles experience. My goodness. Okay, so yeah, I'll try and make this as concise and you know to the point because I don't want to ramble here for ten minutes. But for those who might have missed it in the past. I know we reference it a lot. Maybe we, I know we're picking up new listeners every week, which is awesome. Welcome to the party, everybody. Um, I work for iHeartRadio and the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in in Pittsburgh. Um, and with the Steelers, I have game day responsibilities. I'm the broadcast engineer. So I'm in charge of our whole setup in the booth for game days. I set everything up. I tear everything down. I'm first one in, last one out type thing. I have to set up our entire booth. I have to set up our wireless microphones for our Jeds, right? For our sideline reporters, Max Starks and Missy Matthews. We have two sideline reporters, you know, because that's just the Steelers are just extra, baby. I, I got to test the microphones. I got to make sure everything's working. It, I, it takes me, you know, 90 minutes, two hours to build our entire, not quite as long when we're at home, obviously, but when we're on the road to build our, our setup and everything. Travel with the charter. So, yeah. so yes. So this is my sixth season working with the Steelers, but the first four years I used to be back in our studios in Pittsburgh at the WDVE studios. I didn't travel at all. I was always at our, at our home base. This is my second season traveling. And with that, I'm on the team charter because obviously without me, the broadcast doesn't happen. So they don't want me flying commercially and, you know, getting delayed and stuck and flights canceled and all those things. So the Steelers played in Vegas on Sunday night football against the Raiders. Great time, 
great city. It was my first time out there in Vegas. We had a blast. Had an absolute blast at the Caesars Sportsbook watching the Mountaineers take down Texas Tech. Um, if you know anything about me as well, too, I'm a, I'm a Manchester United guy. So I made a nice chunk of coin last Saturday because I did the West Parlay, which was just Manchester United and, and, and WVU. Both, they were playing at the same time. Both to win. Both did win. Made a nice chunk of change on that. Had a great time out in Vegas. The Steelers beat the Raiders. I got to see Allegiant Stadium, which looks like a Roomba from the outside, but looks like on the inside, it's like Darth Vader's helmet. Uh, just an incredible stadium. Loud, really cool. And in typical Vegas fashion, I mean, Mike Tyson's there. Shaq is there. Carrie Underwood's there. Little Wayne does a halftime show. I mean, I, I, I got the Vegas experience, right? Um, we get on the plane after the game, feeling good, victory. Everything is so streamlined in Vegas. I mean, we got out we, within an hour after the game ended. We were out of that stadium and at the airport already. I mean, just so streamlined, so well done. Um, by everybody there in, in Vegas and how that city is laid out and where the stadium is in relation to the airport and all those different things. So we take off at midnight Eastern time, okay? Midnight our normal time. It's it's about 9 o'clock in, in Vegas because Sunday night football actually starts at 8.15 in Vegas, or pardon me, 5.15 in Vegas, 8.15 on the East Coast, right? Which is the greatest thing ever, by the way. I mean, to be outside of the Eastern time zone for, for a sports calendar is just amazing. So anyways, I'm rambling on here. Midnight, we take off from Vegas, and... At about two, you know, the, 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 everyone's sleeping. It's been a long day. Game's over. It's nighttime. All the lights are off on the plane, all that kind of stuff. Pillows, blankets, everybody's asleep. Lights come on at two in the morning. Bang, all the lights come on on the plane. And the captain comes on the plane and says, uh, we have to emergency land in Kansas City. If everybody could please, you know, have your tray tables up and your seatbelts fastened and all, all that, that, that airline mumbo jumbo that you always hear. Within 10 minutes, we're on the ground in Kansas City. I mean, it, it happened really quick. And so everyone's kind of like, all right, what's going on? You know, at this point, it's a little bit after 2 o'clock. It's like 2.15 at this point. We land, and everyone's kind of like, what's going on? You know, is, is this a big deal? Is this something small? Like, is somebody sick in the front? of Like, is it is it something going on with some? Is there a health emergency? Is it something? Like, no one has any idea what's going on. Is somebody so not there, real? Yeah, that's right. Is that MFR <laughs> in the back of the plane not real? Um <laughs> So about 10 minutes, we're sitting there and everyone's kind of, everyone's wide awake at this point. Like, what's going on? What's the deal? All this captain gets on the intercom and says we had to emergency land because one of the engines was leaking oil and we're still trying to gather information. They're inspecting the plane right now. We'll keep you guys posted as soon as we hear anything else. This is about 2.15. 15 minutes later, 2.30, Mike Tomlin gets on the intercom of the plane <laughs> and goes, all right, here's what's going on. Here's what we know. Uh, we can't fly this plane back back to Pittsburgh. It's too much of a risk when we still have two hours, two and a half hours left on our flight. We're going to have to wait here until they can get another plane big enough for all of us because there's there's 200 some people and all that equipment on the plane, right? I mean, it's, you can all imagine to move an NFL team from city to city on, on game days is a massive operation from the players, the coaches, the staff. People like me, all the equipment, it's, it's, it's insane. It's a massive Boeing plane that, you know, that we take on road trips. So Mike Tomlin goes, we're going to have to get a new plane. It's probably going to be around 930 before that plane gets here. We have no other option than to shut it down, get comfortable, and get some sleep. And so it's like 230 at this point. Everyone's like, well, it's going to be, you know, seven, eight hours before the plane gets here. And everyone just kind of sleeps for a little bit. Uh, about 8.30, they turn all the lights back on. People start putting their, you know, their blinds up on the plane. 
And uh, we hear on the intercom, like the captain comes back on. He's like, the plane should be here within the next hour. And by the way, we've got breakfast pizzas and we've got Dunkin' Donuts delivered for you guys. So they're coming through the aisles with some pizza place from Kansas City that made us breakfast pizzas. And they've got Dunkin' Donuts and Dunkin' Coffee and all this stuff that they're handing up. We have to go get on another shuttle, right? And to go get to our other plane, they had to shuttle all of us over there. They had to shuttle all the equipment over there. So as you can all imagine, that was a long process. It was probably like 11 o'clock, 11.15, maybe 11.30 even before we took off from Kansas City finally. And then just about 2 a.m. or sorry, 2 p.m., pardon me, I landed uh, back in Pittsburgh, had to go to our studio at like 2.30 to get some stuff done and some responsibilities that I just have to get done. Finally got home at, I don't know, about five o'clock, ate dinner, kissed my kids, passed out at 630 and slept for 12 hours. So it was uh, quite an eventful back to back weekend from from everything that happened with the pit game and me and my car getting towed and then getting stuck on a runway in Kansas City for, you know, what, about nine and a half, 10 hours in route to getting home from Vegas. Uh, but Jed, as Evil Knievel once said. Any landing that you can walk away from is a good landing. And you know what, brother? We were all safe, so I can't complain. That it's was, at least a good it's at least a good story now in hindsight. That was your Snake Canyon. Uh, you know, when when I texted you Monday afternoon, I watched the game Sunday night, right? So the game ends, and I'm thinking, oh, a nice, nice win for the Steelers. Wes has a happy trip home. Well, yeah. meanwhile, I get up the next morning. I drive to the Eastern Panhandle. I'm doing my day job. I'm I'm running around all over West Virginia. So early in the afternoon, I text you, and I was thinking, you know, well, you'll be settled in. We'll figure things out for tonight. And you're like, I'm in Kansas City on a tarmac. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? What are you talking about? It's and Jed, I couldn't even get any good bar. We couldn't even get any good barbecue delivered because it was three in the morning. Did you no, see what, what Travis he... Kelsey said? He responded no. to Cam. Cam Hayward was because Cam, yes, yeah, for a, a ride back to Pittsburgh from Cam Travis Hayward Kelsey. tweeted and said, "Don't you and Taylor Swift have a private jet that we can take back to Pittsburgh?" Yeah. Well, Travis Kelsey jumped on the podcast that Owen Schmidt has been invited to be on. By the That's way, that's right. Uh, with his brother, and I heard they're I heard they're bumping Taylor Swift for Big O. I think they might be, and and he said, "Hey, first of all, as a favor for knocking off our divisional rival, the Raiders." That's the least we could do is hook you up with some good Kansas City barbecue. So we'd have been happy to do so. So sure enough, but uh, I, you know, the 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 travails. When you told me you were still on that plane, I was thinking to myself, that was well into Monday when you texted me, and I'm thinking, look, I, I understand how these things work operationally. You're out of that stadium pretty quickly. You get the police escort to the uh, to the airport, and like you said, literally, if if you, anybody hears there about Vegas since they built that stadium, it's right by the airport. It's right it's, by the airport. Jed. It's like it's like the Coliseum to Mountaineer Field is how far that's, the airport is away exactly. from from. I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's it's right around the corner. That's exactly right. But when you told me that, I was thinking you've been on that plane since an hour after the game ended, and I went to bed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So yes. we've got we've got contact from Owen. Uh, I got a text. Did you see the text, Wes? He I did not. Riding, what did he say? He was, this little girl was riding a pony, and he was walking the pony in the uh, homecoming parade. So breaking news, and and Skylar, you you got to grab that picture. Here, I'll show. Oh yeah, I was, okay. There Skylar can put it up. We'll put it up. We'll Skylar put it up can on put it up. Screen for those watching yeah. on YouTube. But uh, I see the thirty-five. Is he by phone going to join us? He's muted. 
keep I keep I keep forgetting we have a real producer now who can put who can uh you know that's put a, uh put photos up and things like that. Uh, yeah. Um do we have do we can have Can you Bingo? hear me? We can ah, hear you. There How's the is. ponies? Oh, uh, the pony was good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Big O, what's up, dog? What's up, guys? Now, were oh, you I actually just... at the parade, or are you just getting burning the midnight oil watching extra tape to get ready for that James Monroe game here in a couple weeks? Come on, be, be honest. No, legit. We it's Wednesday. We we had our uh, parade today, and uh, it got rolling around like seven thirty, seven seven thirty, and uh, some of the guys. Uh, Jake Pate, uh, Ethan Holiday, Tucker Lilly. Um, they decided to ride a horse. Moses was going to ride the donkey. And uh, we just, you know, I had gotten a um, call from Tucker's mom. And she said, uh, do you want to let Aniston ride the, the pony in the parade? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll walk the pony in the parade. So we put her on the, the pony and uh, walked down Main that? Street right now. Who is that Owen on, on the pony that they we're looking at here? That's Aniston. That's my uh that's my girlfriend's uh little three year old. That is one cute nice. kid right there. I love it. Uh she's a she's a sweetheart. That's a rose next to a thorn right there. Yes, it is. Well, Big O, welcome, welcome to the party. And I was since you weren't here, I was drinking a spotted cow in your no, in your honor. My man. He was just telling us his uh his landing in Kansas City story, Owen. Oh gosh, yeah. dude. Yeah, not fun. What? I mean, especially since I couldn't get any barbecue or anything, at least too. It was rough. I was gonna say, like, once you guys crash landed safely, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? The least they could have done while you were sitting on a plane for 10 hours is got you some burn ends. But that's why, that's why they were like basically we're screwed because it's 2 30 in the morning. There's nothing open. There's no hotels we can get into. There's no airplane hangar we can get into. There's no shuttles we can come get us off of this plane. They were basically like, Yeah, we're screwed. We're here. Go to sleep. Get comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> get comfortable. And Mike, you guys know Mike Tomlin. We do not seek comfort. All right. So just go to sleep, get comfortable. <laughs> so yeah. It's hard to hey. I feel for some of the like Wes, you probably you probably could could get somewhat comfortable, but I feel for those guys, those big boys, dude. Right, I kept thinking that no, the whole time too. Like you just played no, a football game. Like, know, so, oh my gosh, you're sore, you're banged up, you're hungry, you're tired. You just want to get yeah. to your own bed. It's a long flight as is. I remember doing the the trips from like Seattle to Miami. Dude, brutal, son. Brutal. Like six What's and that? a half that's, hours. I was going to say, flight. that's got to be close to seven hours. Yeah, six and a half, and like, seven hours. What people don't know, too, is on on these, like, private planes, on these NFL charters, they're putting the pedal down. Like, oh, so, they're flying. So, you know, it, I think it normally I think it normally takes about five hours to get from Pittsburgh to Vegas on a plane. But when you're on one of those, it takes, like, four hours and ten minutes, you know, and because they, def- they fly the jet stream, dog. They fly the jet streams and they put the pedal down and and it's it's an expedited process. So yeah, for it to still be like six and a half, seven hours from yeah. <laughs> from Miami to Seattle, that's crazy. You might as well go to and, Europe. And like you said, I mean, after a game, dude, everything starts to settle in. So now all that you know, Toradol's done worn off and and uh, yep. everything's starting to cramp up. And if you, you get dehydrated, cabin. Yeah, you get dehydrated as it is. You so, heard the comedian joke about 
when the pilot says, hey, we're running 10 minutes behind schedule, we're going to make the time up in the air, and the comedians will always say, well, why don't you make that time up anyway? Well, often on those charters, they do. They really yes, do. Yes, they do. No, oh, they, yeah. I'm, it's amazing. It's a, it's amazing. Like, for example, we're, we're, we're going to Houston this upcoming weekend, right? Steelers play up. Steelers play the Texans. I looked on Google. Okay, I just Googled it. Flight time from Pittsburgh to Houston, and it says three hours and five minutes. On our estimated flight time, it says two and a half hours on go. our on our itinerary. So that's just to, wow. just to kind of give just to kind of give you an idea. They they jet stream that thing. They put the pedal down. They're not beholden to any schedule or anything like that. They're just trying to get us there as, as quickly as possible. We're breaking the sound barrier, baby. Breaking the sound barrier. Mock mock one. Right. Um. One more anecdote for you guys about how I at one point kind of became the hero on the plane. Right. So oh, we boy. land it. We land at two a.m. at about two thirty. We find out this is going to be a while. Get comfortable. Go back to bed. Whatever. Everyone was kind of awake for like till like three, like around three o'clock, everybody. But you know what I mean? You don't like, hey, we're emergency landing. You don't just go back to bed right after that, yeah. right? So it was probably around like three before everybody started shutting it down again. But in that time from 2.30 to three, when we found out it's going to be a long delay, everyone's kind of talking and people are going to use the bathroom and walking around and all that. And there becomes that reality that sets in of like, we going to eat? Like, we're going to get like, we're stuck on this plane for like the next seven, eight hours, like food, like all these different things. Well, at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, best food spread in the league, by the way. I know Skyler and I, we were talking about how great it was in Atlanta a couple weeks ago. Atlanta was number one on my list. Get out of here, Georgia. The best food in the league now is in Vegas, okay? And with that, they had this massive – I'm talking like when you walk into a movie theater and there's all the candy and the popcorn machine and all that. Like they had that set up in the press box in Vegas. with oh, like. Wow with like king size and family size candy bars and snacks and stuff, right? I never do this. I've never done I'm not like one of those guys who sees free food and just shoves it in his bag and like, yeah, like I'm I'm not I'm not that guy. I mean, look at me. Like uh, you know, I weigh like 150 pounds. Clearly, I'm not that guy. But for whatever reason, right? Maybe it was just meant to be, clearly. When we were getting ready to leave that stadium, I went past that that candy area and I grabbed a jumbo bag of M&Ms, a king size Reese's uh peanut butter cups and a like a jumbo bag of like a planter's nut mix you know what I mean like cashews almonds pistachios that that kind of thing threw them in my backpack right well we're on the plane at like three in the morning and you guys should have I'm passing out nuts and M&M's like, <laughs> candy I'm going up and down the aisle who wants some M&M's who wants some M&M's? anybody hey I got I got almonds I got cashews I got pistachios I got M&M's what you want what you need come on we're in this together it's your nuts here yeah, come on. I'm walking around like the planters guy with my little grung glass on. Yeah. You want some almonds? So, Big O, I was the candy man, baby. I was saving the day. This is like, I have just enough nuts for one for everybody on this plane. You, you listen, <laughs> this is the second episode. I listened to the last episode. You making your adult adult content on the computer <laughs> jokes. So you, you make it, this is the second episode in a row. You're making nuts references here. Jeez, what is it? <laughs> Is this an OnlyFans podcast? Off the rails. Oh, I don't know. Who was it that said I was going to sell feet pics? I was going to sell. I said I was going to start selling feet pics. You said it. Of course you did. OnlyFans.com backslash beer truck. Listen, if this doesn't if this doesn't take off like we think it's going to, I'm going to have to start selling feet pics, man. <laughs> onlyfans.com backslash beer truck uh, one more thing before we get to our headlines here you guys were talking about message board days as well too. see i really do listen to the podcast when i'm not on there all right you guys were talking about message boards on the last podcast if you know you know 
There was a, back in the message board days, 15 years ago, right? 16, 17 years ago. There was only one place for WVU fans, and it was WeMustIgniteThisCouch.com. Yep. If yep. you know, you know, you're a real one. 13-year-old Wes was coming home from school every day logging into WeMustIgniteThisCouch.com because that's where it was all going down, baby. Are you tracking <laughs> That's it. That's it. I still, I still, I still remember it. I every day I'd come home from school and see the latest rumors from practice and this and that. And the day that Noel Devine committed to WVU, banner day on We Must Ignite This Couch dot com, baby. I mean, it was out of control. <laughs> so I just had to get those quips in there real quick. Uh, final headline before we go to break. Uh, Jed going to be a pretty special. Uh, ceremony indictment long overdue for one of our own uh, at the BYU game in November. It sure is. Chuck Halley, former Super Bowl MVP, former standout at West Virginia. And, and again, when you look at his resume, uh, both in college and beyond, it, it's all these years later, you continue to marvel at what he was able to accomplish. Um, he, he was a multi-sport athlete. We're talking track, swimming, men's gymnastics, five, wrestling. Five lettered in five sports. That's insane. Insane. Right? He was a Southern Conference one-meter one meter diving champion. I mean, talk about a renaissance man and a jack-of-all-trades. And and it, it's no wonder that the success that he had on the football field as a two-way player in football, by the way, both linebacker and a defensive interior lineman and an offensive lineman. But it, it's no surprise that he went on to such success in the NFL and when you hear those those guys around the Cowboys organizations from from the late Tom Landry to Roger Staubach talk about him, uh, they said, look, there was nothing he couldn't do at that position. So what a year for and, and well earned. What a year for him and his family. First, to be inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And now to have, you know, his number uh, join the ranks of the greatest at Mountaineer Field and and. Think about the names that we're talking about here, guys. Major Harris, Ira Rat Rogers, Sam Huff, Bruce Bosley, Daryl Talley. And now you're going to be adding one more. So uh, now Jaquay Hubbard wears the number that was worn by him. Okay, so Chuck Halley wore 66 at West Virginia. Jaquay Hubbard currently wears 66. And the understanding is Jaquay Hubbard will finish his career wearing 66, at which point it will then be retired, not born, worn by a Mountaineer thereafter but hats off to him kudos to him uh one of one of the old school uh you know original greats and yeah and he he did everything the right way um uh, what what a just imagine sitting around a fire with a cigar in your mouth listening to some mm -hmm. chuck alley stories from chuck alley i mean jed the only uh the only super bowl mvp ever from a losing team in the super bowl right and yeah. and i would submit in the ugliest super bowl ever played He's the one who found a way to. Was that three? Was it three? Super Bowl three? Five. Super Bowl five. 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 16 okay. to 13. Tons of turnovers on both sides. But uh, yeah, he found a way to stand out in that football game. And he might have been the only guy that day doing that. But uh, yeah, hats off to Chuck Halley. And, and it's going to be nice to see his name in the rafters. Like when we go around the Big 12, there's other teams that do this. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit it is kind of neat to see things that you don't really think of right off the bat. Like when you go to Kansas, you see Nolan Cromwell, right? And you're like, whoa, that's right. He did play quarterback before he was a great DB in the NFL. And so, you know, for visitors to the stadium, uh, for his family and for Chuck himself, it's 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 a great honor and well-deserved. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome.
Yeah, I'm going to be excited for that one. That's one of the uh, one of the games I know I can make it to this year as well as that BYU game. So it'll be awesome to see him get that honor. You're right, Jed. I mean, what a year. Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know, your alma mater retires your number. Former Super Bowl MVP. It's pretty cool. You know, like every once in a while, I'm 32 years old, right? So I think I've been a like safe to say I've been a like a legit invested diehard WVU fan since I was like 12. So I'm, you know, I'm working on 20 years here, but every once in a while you start, you still find random factoids about your favorite team, your alma mater, whatever that you're like, oh, wow, I never knew that. And when Chuck Halley got inducted into the Hall of Fame and uh, I learned that he was, I never knew that he was a Super Bowl MVP before with the Cowboys. I started looking around WVU. I'm, I'm trying to find a not like I can't find a official listing. But we have to be on a short list. I, I imagine we're probably not the only school, but we have to be on a short list of how many how many universities have had a Super Bowl MVP and an NBA Finals MVP. Because you've got Chuck Alley in the Super Bowl and Jerry West in the NBA Finals. I can't imagine there's more than maybe two or three or four. I, like, I tried to look it up really quick. I tried to look it up quickly before we went on here, and I couldn't find anything about, like, a definitive list. But – I mean, I was 32 years old when I found out that WVU had a Super Bowl and an NBA Finals MVP, you know, a few months ago. Like, that's that's pretty big. There's not many universities that can say that. The two things that would jump out and ask this off the top of my head, I can't think of them, but because of Brady, because of Montana, has Notre Dame produced an NBA? Notre Dame would be a good bet. Okay, um, UCLA, UCLA might be another good bet. Well, Michigan. Because of Troy Aikman. You both, both Oklahoma and UCLA count Troy Aikman, but. Florida, I wonder. Good question. But I mean, again, I can't imagine. Project. That's yeah. an off-season project. We'll question. do a little. We'll do. We'll do a little more. We'll do a little more research there. Um, but yeah, you know uh, can, can, yeah, if, exactly. If you know, let us know. Absolutely, yeah. we'll and uh, we'll give you. We'll give you a shout out on our next episode. Absolutely. Uh, big shout out to Toothman Ford as always uh, for presenting this episode of ITG. We all know his cars cost less than Grafton. Yeah, Jed, you got to get us one of those shirts, man. Look at that. I mean, Owen's Owen's going viral with the video. Jed's got the t-shirt. I tell you what, we are, uh, we're repping Toothman in this parish, baby. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back on the other side, we will deep dive. We will look at those horn frogs. They do frogs down as well, too. We're going to start doing frogs down on the other side. It'll be our TCU preview when we return. You are in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guarantee to, to save you thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations. 
with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. Back in the gun here. It is time to preview TCU. Just TCU now, by the way. They dropped the Texas Christian University. They are literally just TCU. The Horn Frogs, though, as we know. And Jed, it's kind of a weird balance because, you know, you finally got the pit monkey off your back. Not playing those guys for so long. The series goes away. It have been 12 years since you beat Pitt. You finally get that monkey off your back. Then Texas Tech, right? A team that you had lost to four straight years, uh, a team that Neil Brown had never beat. You get that monkey off your back. Now it's a little bit of a different story because TCU actually is a team that you've had success against. I mean, you beat them three. They beat you last year, but then you had a three-year run before that, right? If I'm correct, I believe. So three of the last four years, you know, Neil Brown has a, a, a clear winning record at three and one against TCU. So if the Mountaineers are, are going to continue that success they've had against the Horn Frogs over the last handful of years, where's it begin? Yeah. And, and to your point, Wes, we won a couple on a road down there under Neil. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, I remember in 2019 closing the season out with that last minute win over them. And I remember walking out with Neil out of the locker room as we were boarding the buses toward the end. And, and he and I were just having a conversation. And uh, he's like, hey, this is this is coming together down the stretch for us. Let's see what we can turn this into. And and uh, and then we went back a couple of years ago. Uh, and that was I, I look at that, guys, as the game where we, we've been undergoing this this five year growth pattern in our offensive line and our run game. Remember how historically bad we were in 2019? Well, that was one of the games that I point to where you saw the flashes of life. On the ground. You saw us moving bodies and making some things happen and assert ourselves on the ground against a quality opponent. That's the game, that 21 game at TCU. And I also remember that's that's the first time I met Nico. I was telling you off the air, Wes, that uh, Nico and his grandmother, it was three or four weeks after his big come from behind win uh, in high school, him and his grandmother throwing up on the football. Yeah, they, they flew in just to go to the game because he was committed to West Virginia, wanted to check out the game. So uh, I'd say let, let's start with this. Let's start uh, on the defensive side of the football for TCU. Uh, West Virginia, we, we, we've talked at length about what's working for us and what we need to get better at, right? So let's let's first start with this. The situation at quarterback, Neil has said it, is going to be a day-to-day proposition. You know, Garrett was a game-time decision a week ago. Uh, they're going to see how – he progresses throughout the course of this week, how much uh, he can put on that ankle. They want him to be able to play his version of football. He was the emergency guy. If something happened to Nico last week, knock on wood. So we'll, we'll see what happens behind center. But either way, the game plan is going to have to include shots down the field. Now, those shots down the field will be taking place against a Joe Gillespie defense that comes into the game ranked dead last in the Big 12 against the pass. They're 123rd in the Big 12 against the pass. Now, again, remember, a lot of that 
was the 500 yards that Colorado carved them up for through the year in that opener. They kind of ambushed them and shell-shocked them with that. They've, they've come back down to earth somewhat since then and played good defense in the last three games, allowing just three touchdowns. But they're solid against the run. So it's good on good in that sense. Um, and they're, they're, when, when you look at their ability to stop the run, especially on the interior, they have one of the top-ranked rush defenses in the league. But I like their big body guys in the interior. I like what they do with the run fits from those backer positions on the second level. Uh, they give up 2.45 yards per rush, less than two and a half yards per rush. That's obviously the best in the Big 12, that figure, but they're number seven in all of college football. So you're going to have to earn it. Now, one of the things to consider, they got a kid named Johnny Hodges, one of their backers, and he's kind of week to week. He didn't play last week, and I think he might be a game-time decision. And I think that's intriguing because, in my estimation, he's he's one of their better run defenders in that linebacker group. So that's something we're going we're gonna to want to keep an eye on. But what they're able to do is get after the passer. And so when you see these numbers with teams having such success through the air, but the defensive TCU having success and getting after the passer, that tells you they're not afraid to roll the dice. Joe Gillespie's not afraid to roll the dice and put his corners on islands and take some chances. And that is sometimes what they do. But the distribution of those sacks uh, breaks down in a pretty interesting way. It's a combination of their backers and their D-line, their interior D-line, their edge people. So that's something to keep an eye on. And not only, we've talked about this before, do they sack you, but they get after you and they hurry you. They contact you. So they can impact the play without even uh, getting home on the sack. They have three, when it comes to quarterback hurries, they have three of the top seven in that category in the entire Big 12. Uh, since that 45-42 loss to Colorado, they've held the opposition to 47% completion rate. So, again, they're starting to stabilize, even as a pass defense. They haven't a lot of touchdown passes since then. They've picked off five passes. They're allowing just 6.2 yards per attempt. Now, remember, Dana's rebuilding Houston offense was mixed into these three games. That was one of the three games. They're holding the opposition to 34% success rate on third down. Eight red zone trips. They've allowed only two touchdowns. That's what's happened since the Colorado ambush. Uh, now, Again, when when you try, when you look at a game plan where you're going to be trying to get into rhythm, they allow more ten yard or excuse me more completions of thirty yards and forty yards than any team in the Big Twelve. So there's some big plays opportunity there. Uh, now remember, when we talk about the run game, this is a team that CJ did have some success last year against these guys. He had 19 carries, 104 yards, a couple of scores. So we held the football in part because of that, for over 36 minutes against these guys. Remember, this was a one-score game down to the final minutes, 34-31, and then they took that shot to about 41-31. But we had success holding on to the football because we had success on transition down, something we've struggled with this year. We haven't been a good third-down offense. Even though we've put ourselves in decent position on third down, we haven't capitalized. Last year, we were 9-17 on third down against them, 2-3 on fourth down. That's how you hold the ball for 36 minutes. That's something we're going to need to do. But, Owen, here's what I want to ask you. As a guy who lined up in practice every day for three years at West Virginia, uh, running split zone, running inside zone, running stretch zone, we're going to be facing an odd stack against TCU, not dissimilar to what you faced at West Virginia with at the time, Jeff Castile. Walk folks through what it might look like from a run game perspective 
that combination of different runs that would, whether it's the stretch play we like to talk about, whether it's split zone, what, what, are the, what are the pros and cons against facing that with three defensive linemen and here come these safeties flying downhill? Well, you got you got more guys in the mix and you got more athletic guys in the mix. Um, not saying that the big guys up front aren't athletic. They're, they're probably some of the most athletic guys on the field. But as far as uh, being able to make guys miss in space, um, that's what I think the, the odd stack uh, lends its hand to. You just get more of those um, smaller linebacker types um, on the field, which can, you know, presumably, in, in my opinion, um, just kind of create havoc a little bit because they're able to jump around some of those big guys in, in uh, you know, when, we're, when you're trying to run this stretch play. You know, hindsight, though, uh, we, we – you know, in practice, we battled against that a lot. And I didn't think it was much of an issue just because we saw it all the time. Um, but you have, you know, you got more athletes on the field, so you're able to do more combinations of things, a lot more blitzes, a lot more stunts. Um, that always kind of hems up um, a stretch play. But it also, you know, the biggest thing about the stretch play and what Coach Rod always used to really emphasize was, we want them. We want to run into the blitz, and that's it. so. You'd think that would kind of be the opposite, but we wanted to run into the blitz because it just always favored in our in our hand uh, in running that stretch play. And you talked Owen about the body types of those second level players in an odd stack. In other words, it might be different than it is in a traditional four three, for instance, because yeah. they are more hybrid like, right? Like one guy that comes to mind and watching tape on TCU is Namdi Obiazor. This is a kid, he wears number four. He was a, a safety in a former life, okay? But but now he's transitioned down to more of a nickelback will linebacker in that odd stack configuration. And that's exactly the body type that you're talking about. Now, what that does, it puts him in position from a pass coverage standpoint to understand and see the big picture. You can kind of watch on, on, on tape. His, his head's on a swivel. He understands where his help is coming from. But it's a different animal against the run. Oh, and I think yeah. that's exactly what you were just talking about with those second level players against the run. Talk about that with a guy like that. Well, against the run with a guy like that, I mean, it, it works really both. You know, it, it depends on who he is. If he's a war daddy, you know, he's going to make some plays on the outside. He's a guy, uh, you know, I, I think back to, to uh, Eric Wicks and Mike Lorello. Uh, those were those were the guys that we had in those positions back in the day, and they would absolutely tear some guys up. They they'd be able to get under them, really bend the corners, but at the same time, if you got uh, some if you got uh, athletic linemen that are able to kind of capture those guys up, they kind of tend to get swallowed up sometimes too. So it really depends on the player um, and what he's really good with. Now, like you said, in coverage. I think they're great having on the field because you can just you basically they basically can cover like a linebacker, uh, cover like a DB almost like a hybrid DB. So they got a little bit more speed on the field, like you said, understand the pass game. But when, sometimes when it comes to the run game, they kind of get swallowed up. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, like I said, if he's a war daddy and, he, and that guy's going to come downhill and he's going to create havoc with you, it's one thing. That's something you got to look out for, but. 
generally, most of the time, they're guys that are going to get swallowed up in the run game. Yeah, another another kid that, that would fit that role that you're talking about. Let's fast forward to the odd stack that we saw with Gibby was Kai's ear. You know, he was occupying that spur position, which is more the strong side and the wide side of the field. But again, one of those hybrid types that's apexing the formation, that's going to play to space, but he's also going to be asked to set the edge. He's going to be asked to blitz off the edge sometimes. He's going to ask to bring the issue, uh, assert the issue against the run game. But think Kaiser. So those are the types of guys that we're talking about. And and I think that's what Owen's leaning into here. He's against the run. It depends on the type of player. Now, Obi is always one of those types. You're going to have your hands full. If he's willing to stick Mm -hmm. his nose in it and go downhill. Now, from a coverage standpoint, let's look at what people are doing to attack these guys that have the success that they have that they're ranked dead last in the Big 12. They're game planning and scheming up individual matchups. One of the guys they seem to be picking on is Bud Clark, uh, playing a lot of nickel over top of that slot. For instance, I saw Dana scheme him up and hit him with a shot play early in the game. Houston did Donovan Smith, Donovan Smith sniffed out their slot and hit him on a skinny post sneaking past Bud Clark and he didn't have any deep help. And he's been targeted 20 times guys. And in those 20 targets this year through four games, he's given up 11 catches for 154 yards. So there's teams that are seeing matchups. They like Clark number 21 at that nickel spot. Uh, Now everybody's going to be talking about Josh Newton. Uh, Josh Newton was an all-conference kid last year. He played such a critical role at corner and in the run that they made to the CFP into the national championship. He was a portal kid, a Louisiana Monroe transfer that we were in on very heavily. We were pushing hard to get him as well, and it almost came down to us and TCU, and they made the final harder push and landed him. Now, now he's a guy, again, when you talk about people to people who have been around him and when you scrutinize what he does on tape, He's very comfortable in man coverage. That's apparent. He doesn't seem nearly as comfortable in zone coverage. Like we just talked about the strength that Obiazor might have for being a former safety, understanding where his help is. You don't get the same sense watching Josh Newton that he understands where his help is all the time in zone coverage. But when he's in man and it's mono mono and he's locked on, he's very handsy. He's very physical. I'm not so sure that he's that comfortable with the football in flight repositioning himself and and sometimes though and you've seen this as well when you have a corner who gets that handsy that's sometimes what they're trying to compensate for they're uncomfortable with the football in flight so they want to hand check you down the field to make sure that they're they're accounting for all the things they need to defend but a, a very talented kid that will get up in your grill and will press you and i think he's going to challenge us on the perimeter so we're going to find out the type of technician that we have in Devin Carter, the type of technician that we have in Hudson Clement. He, he's going to challenge us, okay? So you're going to have to get off the football without any wasted motion. Uh, and then another kid that people have tried to attack is a safety in Miller Bradford. Uh, we're number 28. They sometimes go after him. Of, it's, it's all about the matchups. So you'll see teams trying to scheme him up and target him. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, probably not with the frequency that it does with Bud Clark. But at the other corner spot, you have a kid named Avery Helm who tends to hold his own. Uh, and, and a lot of times when you're playing opposite a guy like Josh Newton, you're going to get more targets and you're going to be asked 
hey, hold up because you're going to get some throws your way. And that's kind of been the case to some extent. But teams have gone after Newton. They just haven't had a lot of success in, do in doing it. He's he's only allowed five catches in, in, in space and in coverage. So uh, th that's kind of what I'm looking at, Owen. But I, I think if we're able to, whoever's behind center, mix the quarterback run game into the uh, the run game at large and be able to mix some RPO elements and attachments into it and take some of the shots. Don't you figure that's what we, we kind of got to look at? Yeah, we, you know, I think what we've been doing so far has, has been working towards what we, we need to ultimately get to. And like you uh, said last time in the podcast, um, it's, you know, it's great that we've been winning and being able to work on this stuff. It's obvious what we need to work on. We need to take shots downfield. Um, some of those guys have had some things going on, you know, like last week with, with Devin and, you know, unfortunate family situation. But like you said, whoever's behind quarterback, we not we need to get them RPO plays in there. Uh, Got to be able to hold those guys out on their toes. And we have to crack it somehow. Once we crack the – the secondary once we once we start taking those shots now everything's going to start to open up more the run game's going to start to open up a little bit more now they're now they're on their toes a little bit more in the play action game and now you're starting to play a full complete game and it's tough to, to defend the entire team uh once you get the ball rolling with everybody and you know Wes what's interesting you tend to hire the guys that you struggle against that's it's a cottage mm -hmm. industry that's where that's where coaching gets a little incestuous right mm -hmm. uh i mean the, one of the reasons that that rich reached out to uh, jeff castile to bring him on staff when he first got the west virginia job were the struggles that we had against jeff castile's shepherd defenses when we were at glenville uh we had a lot of respect for that guy well the same thing has happened with joe gillespie and sonny dykes Sonny Dykes, when he was at SMU, really struggled against Joe Gillespie's Tulsa defenses, really struggled. He wasn't seeing a lot of it. It seemed atypical. So he tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, why don't you come down here and join me in, in Fort Worth? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have something pretty special cooking. So Joe Gillespie comes in and does it. And I don't know that he got quite enough credit for helping them do what they were able to navigate through last year. Like, even when you get to the playoffs, we, we understand – that they, they beat Michigan in a shootout. But think of the flow of that game. Part of the flow of that game was a couple early pick sixes with TCU sure. confusing Michigan, right? Sure. So Joe Gillespie's defense played a critical role in their success last year. And I think that he's trying to replace some of the pieces that are missing from the cupboard and get back to some of that uh, this year. Uh, and he's had a couple guys out in recent weeks. They're expecting a couple guys back, but Hodges, I don't know. That'll be more of a later in the week or game time decision. But, but uh, West, that's that's kind of how I see it with West Virginia's offense against their defense. A lot of respect for this version of the odd stack uh, with what Joe Gillespie's doing. Yeah, sure. Uh, a bright mind, without a doubt. One who's had a lot of success there. And like you said, I know we've talked about this before. Week one in college football is always such a crapshoot, isn't it? I mean, you listen, week one in the NFL is a crapshoot, and they have three games of preseason to, to get ready for that. Um, but ever since that Colorado game where, as you were referencing, Jed, I mean, the, the Buffaloes were just throwing the ball all over the place. They have settled down. They've gotten much better. That's If that's the only glimpse you've had of TCU this season, don't expect that to, to be the same thing you see on Saturday night for sure. Uh, that's exactly all right. right. 
Yeah. Can I add one yeah. more thing before we switch sides? Sure. Here, here's where you're, you're definitely on to something. I, I felt after the Colorado game against TCU, uh, we were up in the booth at Penn State tracking that thing, and we're just in awe of what was happening just like the rest of the country was. It almost felt to me like I felt last year, had we got Kansas in week 10, right. it might have turned out differently. Correct. But but we got them when nobody truly knew what they were. Yet. They showed nothing week one, and we showed everything against Pitt. And, and and you didn't know Kansas was about to break through and be a bowl team, much like Colorado. I think had they got Colorado week three or week it's a great four, comparison, great comparison. You know, I, I feel like that. So don't read too much into that loss, and 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 don't look now, guys. But had they found a way to scrap around and survive that game and win the shootout, they'd be four and zero, probably in the top fifteen. So they're Correct. that close to being that. Instead, they're unranked at three and one. I mean, Jed, they started the season what seventeenth. They might be in the top ten yeah. if they if 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 if, they, if, they, if, they, if, they if yeah. Right. So, like right. I said, I think I think a lot of WVU fans. That's really the only glimpse they've had of TCU the entire season. I'm telling you, don't expect that same Horn Frogs team that you saw in that opener against the Buffaloes. Yeah. All right, Jed, let's spin the block. Other side of the ball. What are we looking at? Well, a complete overhaul uh, in the sense that. Uh, you had a switch at the coordinator spot in the offseason. Garrett Riley, who played such a, a big role in their success uh, in that playoff run last year, left. He's now at Clemson with Dabo as his OC. So uh, Sonny Dykes brings in Kendall Bryles. And Kendall Bryles is a guy that Mountaineer fans are going to be familiar with as the son of art. He was not just the pass game coordinator for some of those Baylor teams uh, in the early 2010s, but also in our early days, in the Big 12, but he ultimately became the offensive coordinator outright. So it, it's kind of what you would anticipate. You, you've got this kid in Amani Bailey. It's all going to start with Amani Bailey. Uh, he's the leading rusher in the Big 12. He's averaging 121 yards a game. He's a Louisiana Monroe, or excuse me, Louisiana Lafayette transfer. Uh, Mountaineer fans might remember, because what he did against us last year, he did against most everybody. When he got in, he made the most of his reps. This is almost textbook what you do. You're playing behind Kendry Miller and some really talented players. When you get your touches, you make the most of them. Well, against us, he had one touch, and it was a 30-yard touchdown right before the half to give them the lead. Uh, that's kind of what he did every time he got in the game last year. Uh, now, he leads all power five rushers in missed tackles forced with 31, yards after contact with 351. He's a load. He's tough to bring down. He's 5'9", 207, very compact. Now think back, when I think of Baylor's offense, and if that's in fact what we're going to get, Baylor's offense from, let's say, circa 10 years ago, the Art Bryles slash Kendall Bryles version of Baylor, what they liked to do was spread their formations out, and they'd put their wide out so far out toward the boundary, Owen, that they made you declare defensively. You can't be both a run and pass defender. You're going to pick one. Because if you're going to match their numbers out wide in the formation, you're not going to be very effective against the uh, defending the run. So they'd make you declare with these wide formations, wide splits, and then he would get like Lake Seatstrunk comes to mind. This These short, compact, big-legged kids, big-thighed kids that can run through arm tackles. And so they would run the inside run game with these formations spread out with with DBs and linebackers come flying in trying to make arm tackles, and these kids were just too physical to bring them down. That's a lot of what I see with Amani Bailey. There's parallels to what we saw in those Baylor offenses from 10 years ago. Uh, Trey Sanders is an Alabama transfer. 
he's kind of the mix-up guy that has more size, six foot, 220 plus pounds. Seems like they 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 like to go to him in the red zone when the field shrinks. Now he's a Bama transfer. Uh, was the number one running back coming out in the class of 2019. So he's a quality football player. So that's a one-two punch that makes them very dangerous on the ground. And it's no surprise they've had the success that they have. They are a rhythm-based offense with uh, what you're seeing with Kendall Bryles. They had the most plays of 10-plus yards in the Big 12. That's the kind of play when you get 10, 12, 14-yard plays. It's almost like first down, first down, take a shot. First down, first down, take a shot. And that's kind of what they like to do. Now, they're they're having some red zone issues. Uh, it started in the Colorado game. It's continued since then. Uh, Chandler Morris, who we sh- should have started with this, uh, Max Duggan's gone. Chandler Morris had actually won the job in camp last year over Max Duggan and then got hurt in the opener against Colorado last year lost the job to Max Duggan, got Wally Pipped, and Max Duggan, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Chandler Morris is a talented football player. Now, he's not as big as Max. I mean, it, he's one of those guys that in the postgame during the handshake, he walks by me, and I can't believe how small he is. He's one of those guys, right? I'm like, wow, that's not a very big kid, but a very accurate kid, very on-target kid. When he's humming, he's humming. And he's been picked off three times this year, guys. But what's interesting to me is all three of those picks have come in the red zone. That's part of their red zone struggles. They had a red zone turnover against Nichols. Uh, they have 19 trips into the red zone, just 10 touchdowns, in part because of these struggles on, on with the turnovers. Now, Chandler Morris is more athletic, you might think. This is another measuring stick that I like to look to already. He's moved the chains on third down through four games. He's already done it six times with his legs. So that's kind of what puts you on high alert. Uh, TCU... Once again, they're hard to sack. They're rhythm-based. He gets it out quickly. Uh, it, it Once again, another way that they remind me of those Baylor teams with O-linemen like Spencer Drango, Kyle Fuller from 10 years ago with uh, Art Bryles. Uh, now, West Virginia, we talked about it, does a good job of getting after him, does a good job of pressuring the quarterback. So that's going to be another good-on-good matchup. But uh, just looking at them from – the thousand foot perspective, that's my first blush. Owen, from a matchup standpoint, again, when you're looking at our defense, which seemed to be playing its best football in, in a couple of years against a team that's really going to challenge us in both phases, what are you saying? Well, I mean, we, we had to play stout up front and be able to stop the run right off the bat. Stone them. We've been playing. I think we're we're number one, correct, in uh, third downs in the Big Twelve right now. Yep, top ten in the country. We yep. we have to fatten that up and keep that stat alive, a hundred percent, and really grind it out. The best thing I love about the D line, which I I feel like has helped our secondary, is once you once you make a quarterback get start to move, start to have to move out of the pocket and get uncomfortable. Now his reads are out the window, right? You got a quarterback coming in that, in my opinion, once you get him on the move, look, most guys, in my opinion, one, two read, they're good with. After that, you're talking about a pro-level quarterback who's going to read through the entire progression. So we have to be really stout up front and make sure that we can keep him on the move, keep those, keep the pocket closed, keep it, keep it trashy in there. 
and, uh, and and stuff the run the best we can and really bow our backs on those third downs. That's what I'm hoping we're going to bring to the table um, for, for the weekend, and I hope the secondary comes up big like they have in the, the last couple games. Yeah, the biggest difference between this year's defense and last year's is it's working on all three levels. The D-line is impacting what the backers and DBs are able to do. The DBs are playing the football in flight way better than we were a year ago. And we all know the shortcomings uh, and the indictments against this defense last year from a big play standpoint. We were hemorrhaging big plays. Well, I would say this. When you look at that game in Morgantown last year in which they came in unbeaten, and we gave them all they could handle in a 34-31 game into the final minutes before they separated with that last score. That game, to me, maybe more so than any other, was the poster child for those defensive struggles against the big play. Guys, they had 494 total yards against us. 264 of those yards came on five plays. They had a 71-yard catch by Tay Barber. They isolated him against Lee Cove. It was a bad matchup, and Lee was supposed to have safety help over top. He didn't get it. Missed assignment, blown coverage, 71-yard touchdown. They had a 57-yard catch by Tavion Williams. They had a 55-yard catch by Quentin Johnston. They had a 51-yard run by Kendra Miller. They had the 30-yard run we mentioned earlier by Imani Bailey. Five big plays that were absolutely the difference in that football game. And that's the game more so than any other that we struggled to contain or put a lid on those big plays. And and it's not like it was one guy making three or four of those plays. I just mentioned five names with five plays. That's a scheme issue, right? Now, they have a whole new scheme, but we have simplified and streamlined ours. And we do appear to be playing much more aggressively. So that's one of the things that I'm eager to check and see. Uh, I think we need a big game out of Aubrey Burks because he needs to be both an elite pass defender and run defender. I think we need an elite game out of Marcus Floyd. Once again, he needs to continue into that. Those two are both, those two are both great against Texas tech. They absolutely were. Uh, Now we need Beanie to continue being what we've seen through four games, but I'm saying this Malachi swell up, buddy. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep fighting the good fight. We're, we're a hashtag love Malachi (laughs) podcast, right? right. I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I like the fact that that kid has so much fight in him. So we're going to need all the resources on that back end that we can possibly muster. And we're going to have to chop things up and get creative enough to find a way uh, to do something other teams haven't done. And that's be able to pressure that kid, like Owen said, get him off that first and second read. When you talk about those 10 plus yard plays, it's exactly what Owen just said. That's those rhythmic, quick read, one read, key, boom, boom, throw, boom, boom, throw. If you get him off of that, you're asking him to do something he's not nearly as accustomed to do. But it truly is a two-dimensional offense. It really is. So it's almost like, yes, the safeties and second and third level players are going to have to play a, a role in being downhill enough to slow down the Big 12's top rusher without question. We can't let them lean on us. But now more than ever, we need that rotation, that D-line to really swell up. I mean, this was supposed to be somewhat of a rebuilding offensive line they lost steve avila who was a a second round draft pick they lost another all-conference all big 12 level kid they were supposed to be rebuilding they've done a great job up front guys i mean they're better at this point in the year than i thought they would be Hmm. so the d line is going to have to bring their launch pail and find a way to play their role 
and do their part uh, and shoulder their burden and, and slowing down this run game while the back end gets creative enough to help out and also watch out for what they're going to do and pushing the football downfield. But it, it's a it's a true test in every in every way, as I see it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's a reason. I think the line's moved a little bit, right? I think it's 12 and a half now. But, I mean, you're you're two score underdogs in this game on the road. Um, you were home dogs last week, but not quite to this extent. And, yeah, I mean, TCU is, is in a good spot as a program. I think a lot of people thought that they might fall off a cliff last year after just how they were able to load up and, as Jed mentioned, you know, go to the national championship game, beat – beat Michigan in the uh, in the college football playoff semifinal. Uh, but this is still a good football team and one that I think is going to be look forward to looking forward to this as well too because they had that, you know, what what they would probably classify as an embarrassing loss to Colorado week 1 a- and then they've beaten up on some some teams they probably expected to beat up on in the last few weeks, you know, Nickel State, yeah. Houston, SMU, right? I mean they they expect to to beat those teams. Um, this might be the first one where they say, Hey, this is a West Virginia team that's got some mojo. They're three and one. They beat Pitt, they beat Texas Tech. They're coming in here feeling good after, you know, three straight wins as a program for the first time since 2018. Um, this is, I think, a really good measuring stick game for both teams in the sense of you you win this game. Whoever wins this game is going to be four and one, feeling really good about themselves going forward. That's off to Sonny Dykes. Seriously. Oh. With what they've lost, Owen, with what they have, you know, they've lost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they have so little coming back, right? Absolutely. And 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 here's another thing too: crowd's going to be an issue. It's going to that's going to be a factor in their favor. Uh, it's going to be a hostile environment, and we're going to have to night make game. sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a night game, uh, but absolutely, hats off to them. I mean, how many seniors did they end up losing? Like. Well, think about it. They lost 15, 19. They lost a kid some... who was a Heisman runner-up behind center. Uh, they lost their top two running backs, their top three wideouts. We mentioned the O-lineman they lost. So they're trying to replace all those kids. They, they lost the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, the Special Teamer of the Year. So it, it's a rebuild. And what I don't see quite yet, when I think of TCU and their explosive dynamic offense, is I think of guys like Quentin Johnston. I think through the years of a guy like Josh Doxson on the perimeter, they've always had those alpha receivers. Nobody has emerged quite yet. I mean, from a targeting standpoint, they're trying to work the tight ends into the game. There's guys that are playing somewhat of a role there, but on the perimeter, it's just not quite to the point that, uh, I mean, Jared Wiley at the tight end, they got a transfer from Oklahoma State and J.P. Richardson, John Paul Richardson. They're, They're trying to feed him and get him humming. Jalen Robinson is a talented kid that now they are getting a couple wideouts back this week, a, a very talented LSU transfer that hasn't played in a couple of weeks. So let's hope we don't catch them healthier than they've been. But so far that alpha hasn't been part of that room. And, and if I see something that they've struggled most mightily to replace out of everything, we just talked about those missing pieces last year. Strangely, it's not Max Duggan behind center because Chandler Morris has done a great job. Strangely, it's not those two physical backs they had last year because Imani Bailey has done such a great job. Strangely, it's not the O-line because they found a way to make it work. It's on the perimeter. Hmm. Decent production, but not what they're used to. Well, I tell you what, you're not getting pulled over, are you, Big O? No, that was it. That was it, yeah. 
I just saw some flashing. I saw some flashing. Well, I guess not getting pulled over because you're okay. I was like, you're not getting approached right now, are you? I am in my my yeah, I am in my vehicle, but I'm pulled over. um, Okay. So I had a feeling. I had a feeling you weren't driving, but I saw those lights flash, and I was like, oh no, you're not getting approached by somebody. (laughs) Courtesy patrol is going to be a recurring character. They've already been on her with him once. That's right. That's it. That's it. One of our favorite guests here, right behind Big Daddy, right, is our favorite guest here on the on the program. (laughs) Uh, final thank you to for, to uh, to our friends at Fortis for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Make sure you visit Fortis.us.com. Wanted to get on the record too. I texted it to you guys, but just since I wasn't uh, on the podcast earlier in the week, Oklahoma, my defense of the week. Again, I know I texted it to you guys, but just to get it out, it's it's not, it's like a relationship, right? Your relationship isn't official until you're dating on Facebook. Uh it's not official my pick until I actually make it on air on an episode here. So it's not Baylor. I've got the OU I've got the OU defense. It's not Baylor. <laughs> you heard Skylar, right? I did. Yes, I and I heard you guys oh, let's tell West that 13 people got the defense of the week, right? Uh, you know, listen, I'm I'm always listening. All right. I've said this before. You work in my business. I listen to I listen to everything. All right? Like when you guys when you guys No, no, not even that. It's just when you guys when when you were an athlete, right? Jed, when you were playing college football, Owen, when you were playing when you were playing college in the NFL, you guys were in a in a performance-based industry, right? And so, so what'd you do like crazy? You watched the tape, you studied, you studied yourself, you did self-scouting, you studied your opponent as well too, right? To know what their tendencies and their strengths and weaknesses are. Brothers, as a radio host, I do the same thing. I listen to everything. I want to hear the opposition. I want to hear the the people that I work with. I listen to myself way too often and critique myself like I'm watching tape. So you guys, you can't sneak one past me, all right? You're going to have to, you're going to have to get up earlier than that if you want to sneak one past Euler. Wes, are you as nerdy as me? Do you do you actually listen to the opposing coaches' early week press conference and take notes on it? I do not. No, I don't yeah. take notes, but I definitely like give a listen. There, there you go. I listen to. I listen to. I listen to. I, I listen to Neil and Mike Tomlin on every Tuesday, and that's it. I, I, I'm good on. I'm good on listening to coaches speak. They're just blowing smoke up our butts, anyways. I know. I, a lot of smoke and mirrors. A lot of, lot of, lot of smoking butts, and now I'm getting Owen excited. (laughs) I'm getting Owen excited about all the adult references he's made on the show. We're smoking pork butts. Pork butts. Pork butts. Sometimes the questions from the media really. Listen, I don't blame the coaches. I I, I don't. No, I'm saying the questions from the media pull the curtain back on a storyline that I might not otherwise. Like that's true. Doctor's office in, you know, Moorfield, West Virginia. You know, waiting to see somebody because that's what I do all day. And as I'm sitting there, I'm back in the back corner with that thing up to my ear. And I'm, you know, I I subscribe to the Chuck Knoll philosophy. Of course, Chuck Knoll, the head coach in the Steelers heyday when, you know, the the, the steel curtain and the the four four Super Bowls in the 70s. Chuck Knoll famously once said, you treat the media like mushrooms. You keep them in the dark and you feed them (laughs) S-H-I-T. Boys, I think that's a, a wrap on this one. We uh, This was a lot of fun. We talked about the plane story. We gave some love to Chuck Halley. We deep dove into TCU. Thanks again to our guy, Skyler, for producing this as always, but for filling in for me uh, on the last couple episodes as I was stuck in transit and trying to get caught up on, on everything that I missed. Uh, always a big shout out to our guy, Skyler. Uh, Jed, safe travels this weekend. Owen, go win that homecoming game on Friday night. And uh, if you're in Houston, I'm going to watch the game. I've decided what I'm going to do here. 
I can't like I can't drive seven hours round trip by myself and get three hours of sleep and have to work a 12 hour NFL game and then come home to my two young. T- I just I, I can't do that anymore as much as I would like to. So what I'm going to do is there is a WVU alumni group in Houston. You know, most most big cities across the country have a WVU alumni group. They have a nice contingent, nice amount of people that watch all the games at a bar in Houston called Pitch 25. OK, that's the name of the bar. That's where they have the watch parties. That's where I'll be on Saturday night. So if you're one of our listeners in Houston or in the Houston area and uh, you want to buy me a beer. No, I'm just kidding. I'll buy you a beer for being a, for being a listener. But I will be at Pitch 25 on Saturday night with some some Houston Mountaineers. So let's go get a That's W great. and be and be four and one. I thought about doing the same thing in Vegas last week, guys. Um, but the like the alumni association in Vegas and where they watch the games was like a 30 minute Uber ride away from where I was. And, you know, I just like I was like, what if I get there and it's not my vibe? And I don't know. I was all nervous. But this week, it's just a couple blocks from our hotel. It's like a 10, 12 minute walk. So I'm going, baby. And I can't wait. So I'll see you down there at the Lone Star Alumni Chapter. That's what they call themselves. Pretty good at pitch 25. Friday night. I thought I'd be at heart eight, but I might be. At the only place in Fort Worth I'd probably rather be than Heart Eight Barbecue mm-hmm. at Brian Estridge's house. Uh, he's the voice mm-hmm. of the Horn Frogs. Yeah, Brian's a great guy. What a great having yeah, so you ever nerd out together. He wants to host. Yeah, there you go. So and and you got you got you got nowhere to be until until Saturday uh, after late afternoon. So I don't know if Landry will be around. Remember Landry. Uh-huh. Landry Get Landry on the show in December for TCU. Play. Oh yes. And oh, he's yeah. the color. Com- he's the color commentator now, right? Yeah, he moved up. Yeah. Well, yep. Jed, you better text him and see what he's up to. I'll tell you yeah, what, need to. I tell you what, but we'll yeah. have stories. So we'll have plenty of stories for you. Jed and I will both be in Texas this weekend. Owen's got a big homecoming game. So we'll have some stories uh, when we reconvene on the podcast next week, but a reminder, Phil Friday tomorrow as well too. make sure you're checking out the great stuff that Skylar and Jed are doing with, uh, with the just, incredible encyclopedia of college football that is Phil Steele every single Friday uh, on our YouTube page. And of course, make sure you're subscribing to the Believe feed on our podcast as well, too. We uh, we got the two different feeds going on. Make sure you're subscribing to the Believe one as we navigate that thing over here. Oat. Say that again. Oat. Check out the uh, Twitter That's feed. That's right. Yes. We've had some people uh, ask as well, too, how do you get involved with our weekly pick them? It's all on our Twitter feed at In The Gun Podcast. If you scroll our timeline, it's there. It's a Google link, and you can pick your your four, uh, your beer truck, your signal caller, your defense, and your offense of the week. You put your name and your email address in there. Boom, you're done. We don't bother you, anything like that. The only way we bother you is if you get four out of four and you get a shout-out in a, in a big O autograph rookie card. So some cool stuff going on, as always. And finally, to close, the one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear. About your new favorite WVU football podcast for the beer truck, Owen Schmidt, and the signal caller, Jed Drenning, our producer slash host slash extraordinaire, Skyla Callahan. I'm Wesley Euler. Take care, everybody. Horn frogs down. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.